I know this is a bit of a theme, a bit of a thing that you like, but I think we have an aircraft story. I know. It, you know even I'm getting <laughs> bored with aircraft stories, and I'm sure our listeners are going, tell me one about ships or something. <laughs> and the idea is to challenge people to design assumptions. Think aircraft made of wood and wire and rope. Makes sense, right? And the ejector button is just oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, one finger push away. Really, right? really close. On one day, 17 pilots were killed in accidents in what? one day. Yeah, this is bollocks. Right. But how does he prove it? Zip, <laughs> nada, nothing. Crickets, donuts, anger dissipates when people are listened to. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, our podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Callahan, And hey, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. No, Mark, I believe. I know this is a bit of a theme, a bit of a thing that you like, but I think we have an aircraft story. I know. It, you know even I'm getting <laughs> bored with aircraft stories, and I'm sure our listeners are going, tell me one about ships or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll go on submarines or something. Um, yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, another um, aircraft and uh, aircraft story, and was shared. I I came across this because our our partner in India, Indranil Chakraborty, everyone calls him IC, uh, had shared it on uh, on his website, and I saw it and thought, yeah, that's a really good story. So mm. here we go. Thanks, IC. Right. Yeah, and so this is this is uh, uh, this story causes people, and the idea is to challenge people's to design assumptions. Right. right. Yeah, so <clears throat> back in the nineteen twenties. You know, it, manned powered flight was in its infancy. You know, World War One saw the advent of things like the SOP with Camel and, you know, the Fokker triplane and think aircraft made of wood and wire and rope. Yeah, right. That's, that's the era we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So in the early 1920s, they thought, whoa, hang on, we need to get our heads around the design of the cockpits. So they did a bunch of measurements and they came up with the average pilot. So here's the average pilot. And that that concept, that data was used to inform cockpit design for the next 30 years. Right? Average pilot, average cockpit. So, you know, the assumption was that people are average and you know, therefore the control column needs to be this this far away. Yeah, right. The, that makes sense, right? And the ejector button is just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, one finger push away, really, right? really close, yeah, <laughs> but not too close, not too close, yeah. Um, all right, um, and now we fast forward to the 1950s, right? The the United States Air Force is the most advanced air force in the world. Their pilots are really good, and they're getting better. Their aircraft and the technology in the aircraft is is the best in the world and getting better, but the results are getting worse. There's right. more accidents. I think in, in on one day, 17 pilots were killed in accidents in what? one day. Yeah. Like it was, you know, this is a serious problem. And so yeah. everyone started going, what's to, what's to blame? What's yeah. to blame? You know, pointing the finger. Of course, the first thing they did was it must be pilot error. Pilots are the problem. Right. Now that was, they, you know, the pilots were pretty sure it wasn't them. So, oh, then it must be the technology. The technology is too advanced. And uh, it was an easy explanation. Um, but again, it wasn't true. People started blaming the instructors. Maybe they're not being trained correctly. Anyway, somebody came up with the realization that the the, the cockpit design was based around um, 
the the data, the, the, the research that was done in the 1920s. And, of course, things have changed dramatically. Yeah. Pilots yeah. have changed. Yeah, so, I hope so. So they went, whew, we need to re-baseline. We need to get a new average. And so a study was conducted at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, um, and they studied 4,600 pilots, and they measured them across a, a plethora of dimensions. And the 10 most important dimensions were selected, right? The 10 that have the biggest influence on cockpit design. Right. Height, arm length, length of legs, weight, width of shoulders, all, you know, these sorts of things, right? So they picked the 10 most important dimensions and they used the the data from the 4,600 pilots to uh, come up with a new average. And for example, the average height was, say, 5'9". Yeah. Now, and the assumption was, well, we're just going to design cockpits around this new average. Well, around that time, a young lieutenant, a graduate from Harvard, uh, turns up at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, a guy called Lieutenant Gilbert Daniels. And uh, he'd done his uh, his study at Harvard, and he'd actually been studying human Dimensions. Am- human dimensions. Right. And he, yeah, his study showed that that even in, in in very, very similar ethnic and socioeconomic groups, hand size varied tremendously, and there was no such thing as hand size. So he looked at this data and this new average, and he just said, this is bollocks. Right. But how does he prove it? Well, what he did is he 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 looked at he took the data of all four thousand six hundred and three pilots and went for each dimension, does the pilot fall within the average or not? Right. Now <clears throat> the the assumption from most people was that the vast majority of the four thousand six hundred and three mm. pilots would all yeah, they would be within the average yeah. across these ten dimensions. Yeah. In reality, what he showed, you know, he got the data, he put it together, and it showed that of the 4,603 pilots, the percentage that was within the average range across all 10 dimensions was zero. Zero. Zip, <laughs> nada, nothing, crickets, donuts, whatever word you want to use to describe it, not one single pilot fit the average on all 10 of those dimensions. Right. He then looked at, he went, okay, well, that's, you know, people were really surprised by this. Oh, and, and so angry, he, I bet. <laughs> angry, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he said, well, let's look at the top three. Let's just mm-hmm. pick three. And of those 4,000 odd pilots, how many of them fell within the average for just three of those dimensions? Have a think. Uh, what do you reckon? I'm thinking if it was zero, I'm saying... Fifteen percent. Yeah, it was three point five percent. Three percent in three out of yeah, three, yeah, just dimensions. on three dimensions. Anyway, wow. what he what what he did is he proved that there was no such thing as the average pilot, right. and that they've actually got this thing called a jagged profile. You know, somebody who's tall might be thin, mm. right? Somebody, and so you get the idea. And the assumption that it guided cockpit design for that, you know, from the for those 30 years, was was thrown away. And the Air Force said, you're right. Thank goodness. And they they, they basically banned design based on the average pilot. And so they said to, to you know, the aircraft manufacturers, you need to design to the edges, not to the centre. It's a complete... And, of course, the manufacturers are 
they're going, no, this is this is impossible. Right. Right. And even if it was possible, it would be way too expensive. But of course, they soon when the Air Force wouldn't budge on this, the manufacturers soon came up. They came up with brilliant ideas. Oh, give them constraints, you see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And things that today we take completely for granted, like adjustable seats on our cars. Right. And not just sliding forwards and backwards, but you know, multiple types of adjustment. All this came from that uh, that that change that that, that observation that uh, backed by good data. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, I guess in terms of the the business point, I think about the importance of this for design. Right. Whenever you're designing something, if you design for the average, like if you're designing a product for the average customer, you might in fact be designing it for no one. There's a there's a um, sort of uh, a sobering point, isn't it? A sobering thought. Yeah, yeah. Hey, nice one. Love it. Lots of um, good twists and turns in that. And you know, I, I actually because I'm I'm sort of really focused on, as you know, sort of you know, how to present data. You know, using stories. It's a good data story, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this this yeah. one. And and uh, uh, I think that uh, that. For those of you who are planning to undertake the Story Power Data Program in the next few months, you might see this example uh, starting to appear. <laughs> it <laughs> might pop pop up, absolutely. Yeah. I'm definitely going to uh, purloin that, that's for sure. Um, you know, one of the things I love about this story is the fact that it's always at the outsider that, you know, turns things on its head. So in a way, this should be something that, you look for when you're in a design process. Like if you've got a whole bunch of people who all work together, do the same thing, you know, do it the same way, been doing it for years, hey, maybe you should invite some people who sit outside your world, right? You know, because that young lieutenant comes along and all of a sudden he sees it from a quite different perspective. Uh, that's that's powerful stuff, right, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's incredible. You see that. I remember uh, when we were doing work years ago um, in my IBM days, uh, you know, that was one of the, if you like, principles that we would try to seek out in our complexity work was how do you bring someone into the system that was, you know, quite different to everyone else. It was uh, someone who, who could push you and, and, and act as a provocateur. I think that's the, that was the actual title we used for that person. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I love yeah. that. What do you like about the story? What's the what's things that you well, enjoy I'm, I'm, telling? I'll I'll come to that in a second. I just want to to the source of this story uh, is important, right? It's a, a a book called The End of Average by L. Todd Rose, right. and uh, the he's also done a, a TED talk. So if you go, if you just uh, Google Todd Rose Average, you're going to find the um, the, the TED the, talk. The right. TED talk. Yeah. So. That's the source. Now, the things I enjoyed about it was the surprise, like zero. I remember when I first heard this, zero, you know, like not, not one single pilot of the 4,603 was fell within the normal range across all those 10 dimensions. It was inconceivable. It was like, wow. I know. It's good, isn't it? It's yeah. so surprising. So yeah, it, just show, the- it just shows you the concept. Straight away, the concept of average gets thrown out the window. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's and it's a you know, it's a very useful. You could actually use that uh, that tiny little snippet when, when if somebody's adv- advocating for designing for the average. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now I, I I don't know the um 
that was probably a six or seven minute version of the story that I told at the start of the right. you know, of the story. Mm-hmm. 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 And if you were going, and it's probably worth illustrating to our listeners that you can take a story, they're almost infinitely compressible and expandable, and you can take that story and tell it very quickly. Yes. And yes. Uh, so if somebody was going, well, we need to design for an average, you could say, well, look, back in the 1950s, the Air Force was looking at cockpit design, the US Air Force, and they took the measurements of 4,603 pilots and they uh, they worked out uh, the average against the 10 most important factors influencing cockpit design. Right? And uh, they they came up with an average. Right? So here's the average. And a, a, a young uh, researcher came in and he thought, well, this isn't quite right. And so what it is is he went, how many of those 4,603 pilots were within the average range on all 10 dimensions? Hmm. And the answer was zero. Yeah. And then he said, okay, what about three dimensions? Only three. And that was only 3.5%. So you might be saying we should design for the average, but uh, maybe that example illustrates that we should think outside the box a little. You know, um, just jumping to a totally topic re- re- side topic, but related, right? And the the body mass index, right? Yep. People talk about BMIs, and I hear people often will say, uh, "Oh, yes, but it's not really accurate." But they don't go beyond that to explain. And the reason why it's not accurate is for the exact reason we're talking about here. It's kind of assuming some sort of average body shape, right? Uh, which doesn't, which we've just seen, doesn't exist. So, if someone, if you sort of said to someone, "Look, uh, you know, BMI, that's not a really good uh, indicator," um, because quite frankly, there's not really an average size body. I mean, they they showed this in the Air Force actually, and you could tell that little story, mm. and people would then go, "He's right, BMI. Well, why would you do that? It's it's totally, totally, a, you know, sort of left a field." So yeah, yeah. anyway, I mean, there must be lots of things. That assume average. Yep. Right? Uh be interested to hear from any of our listeners things that they've come across that assume average. Uh, mm. Something you can so, call into question. Mm. So what about the concept of um taking that longer story and, and telling it in the you know the 60, 90 mm. second uh version? I think what you did there was uh a, you know a really good lesson in a sense because you focus in on the smaller event that still makes a lot of the point that you're making, right? Because yeah. when you tell the full almost historical story, you know, the 20s and the, you know, the wooden aircraft, that's that's interesting, but for t- making the point, you can still do it by just zooming in on the 1950s and this one single thing that happened with the, you know, with that researcher that comes from Harvard. Yeah, and it's important to still have a couple of specifics in there, like you know, 1952, to say perhaps the name of the. Well, that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, because you uh, because do get it, a, a picture yeah. of them. Yeah, and it adds adds credibility. Yeah, instead of just going, oh, you know, I heard this thing where you know the Air Force did the blah blah blah, which is pretty much easy to ignore. Uh, it's difficult to ignore when you go, well, look, 1952. Mm. Yeah, that's it. That's what it comes down to is the credibility. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that's fantastic. But stories can do that. You can get the real crunch down version. Um, now, in terms of things 
that could make that story even better. I mean, now that you've told it a few times, is there anything that you're sort of hankering for to think, I would like to add that to the story or um, things that you think just would make it a little stickier in some ways? Uh, it's. I think it's the same uh, situation I've been in many times. You know, it's a story that I really enjoyed and I've listened to multiple versions of it and there's a whole bunch of additional detail and, and the... the the, it's the stripping away that I've had to do most of, right? Getting rid of stuff. Right, right, okay, yeah. <laughs> Getting rid of it to get down to that version. Yeah. So uh, that's something. Uh, so is uh, there's so many things that I could add, and, mm. uh, you know, from, a, you know, having spent uh, 20 years in the Air Force that I'm interested in, but in terms of the story, uh, I don't think would add much value. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I could have gone, you know, the, the Gloucester Meteor, you know, it was the first jet aircraft and it was introduced in nineteen forty nine. Yeah, like yeah. No. But doesn't really add value. The only thing that there's two things I think could help in my mind. And I think I've mentioned these types of things before, but one is um a little thumbnail of what this lieutenant looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm picturing a nerdy little guy. <laughs> Right. It'd be nice to know, you know, at least there a picture of him and sort of like it. And to be able to sort of say, yeah, I've seen a, a photo of him. You know, he's, he's you know, just a, a wiry little fella uh, with a beautifully quaffed moustache, you know, or something like that. Don't know if they had moustaches in the Air Force back then. Um, but the other thing is that the presentation of the insight, you could have done that as an imaginary meeting. Right, where he sort of said, so you know, he he gathered together, you know, the top brass, and he throws up his first slide. In fact, it's not a. He doesn't click like this because, um, by the way, I'm clicking like a PowerPoint slide. But in fact, <laughs> it would be an overhead sort of uh, stencil that he would slide on the on the uh, machine. I assume, um, and you know, I don't know. I wonder if that would just add a little bit of more visual, you know, a visual element to this, this story makes it a little bit easy to see. Yeah. And that's the that, thought. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I agree that would, that would help make it more impactful. And uh, of course you'd have to do the imagine. That's yes. important. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. You have to. And you know, as I was saying that I was thinking, I wonder if they even had invented overhead projectors at that stage. Huh. You know, might have been slide projectors. I don't know what what do you wow. have in the fifties. Uh, but do you remember in two thousand and six, uh, Professor Brenda Durvin in mm. uh, in I think it was two thousand and six. Went to spend. We spent a day with her in Sydney. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was the first time she'd ever used PowerPoint. And, Is and, that right? I don't remember that. Oh, and did you and really? So, you just passed she, away this year or last year. Ah, oh, man, yeah, that's sad. Yeah, she, she was, was a, she was a, she was a giant. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember we were in that room that day and she was struggling so much with PowerPoint and she had one of her, her assistants with her who'd digitized, you know, basically taken all of her, her transparencies and put them into PowerPoint. And after, it was probably less than 90 minutes, she just went, no, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> she <laughs> was backing the, out. And the assistant brought over and she had this, this, Pile of transparencies that must have been, I don't know, three or four inches high. Yeah, it was. Anyway, that's good. It's fascinating. 
Yeah, she for the, for, for our listeners, she was an expert in sense making. That was her main topic, and you know, just how do humans make sense of the world around them and the things that happen. She, she was, you know, a great thought leader in that space. I still um, remember something she said that day. Mm-hmm. What was that? Anger dissipates when people are listened to. Right. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, mm. back to the story. Yeah, tell me, tell me. Let's go to business points, right? So, um, what would you say are some of the business points you would? Well, we've already covered a couple stories. of them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the the, the point that uh, in in this circumstance, and possibly in many other circumstances, if you design for the average, you design for no one. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. So that's a good one. It's the application I'm interested in. And and one that really sticks on my mind is government policy mm. and how ineffective government policy often is because it's designed for some sort of assumed average. Average citizen. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it doesn't end up working for anyone. Yeah. I can imagine that would be the case. And the um, I, I'm kind of interested in this idea of the uh, the outsider giving new perspectives. Um, it's not exactly the the business point. You it wouldn't be the direct business point, but it would be an alter, you know, sort of an additional a business point mm. you can make from that. Yeah. Um, another one is uh, be aware of your starting conditions. Ah, yes, yes. You know that reminds me of. Do you know that uh, story about why we have the railway gauge, the width that it is. It comes from the horse and cart in Roman times, right? It was a certain width. And then, of course, they started building tunnels, you know, for the horse and carts. And then next thing you know, they they use the same roads, the same dimensions. And next thing you know, we have, you know, cars and trains, which are essentially of that. Starting conditions are important, right? Yeah. They have a phenomenal long-term effect. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think that's a... A great point. Yeah, and 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 so, like, I guess that there's two ways. When you're at the start, be aware of the assumptions that you're making and the conditions that you're setting up. Yeah. And then, when you're down the track, be aware that you might need to question mm. the starting position. Yeah. The thing is, it's so hard for the people who are involved, who've been around for a long time, to actually even see, you know, the fact that. The starting conditions have been perpetuated, right? So, getting a new perspective, new eyes, all that sort of stuff—it's uh, going to be important. Yeah, and of course, that's a you know, you know we've got a twenty-three-year-old mm. uh, lieutenant who walks in with completely fresh approach. So that you know, reiterating the business point that you made and earlier. And it sounds like he was maybe an anthropology background. He'd been, mm. you know, Indiana Jones style down in you know jungle somewhere. Uh, I don't know. It sort of sounds like he's he was way out of that world that that everyone else was in, I suppose. So got to find those characters. Mm. And and uh, just being aware of groupthink, mm. uh, challenging your assumptions. Yep. Damn, it's got many applications. I think so. I think so. Many so, applications. Okay. We're going to give it a score, though. Yep, I, I, I'm, I'm going to kick off, right? That's my job to kick off it first, is, right? It is. I told the story. You get to go first. Okay, with the so yeah, I think it's because I'm attracted to this story from its potential for story power data. 
but I'm going to give this an eight and a half. I think this is Whoa. a this is a strong story that I can apply in a whole range of different areas. And I, the thing I want to do is actually get some graphs made, or maybe even find the original graphs of the 1950s and sort of see what they look like to show that insight of you know how many people inside you know what percentage inside the 10 characteristics you know a big uh, nutter that would that would be great so yeah. eight and a half for me what are you what are you giving it i'm going to give it a seven and a half Ooh. no in fact no 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 i'm not even going to no, half not going to go hard i'm going to go I'm, it's, a me, it's a seven, seven. Right. It's a seven. Yep. It's a really good story. I really like it. I'll be using it. I'm going to put it in my story bank. Um, but you don't going to reel it out at dinner time. Is that what you're saying? Well, actually, it might reel it out at dinner time. It's kind of <laughs> kind of a kind of an interesting thing to to have at your back pocket for a dinner conversation. Um, and the yeah, I guess the, the complexity. Oh, I need a bit harder anyway. to tell. Anyway, right? I, I mean, think it's a it seven. comes with practice. Comes it's with a practice. Seven. Yeah, yeah, good. And we'll we'll make it easy because in the uh, in the show notes, you'll be able to just copy and paste the entire thing. You'll be able to copy and paste the short version that we told, right? So yeah, uh, easy yeah. easy to uh, make it accessible uh, in your story banks. Yeah, very good. Well, I think this is the end of the show then. Unless we've got anything else to add. Well, it's the end of this episode. I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, big news. Big news. <laughs> the end of the show. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for listening in to Anecdotally Speaking. And tune in next week for another episode on how to put your stories to work. Bye now. Anecdotally speaking, was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.